right, Timmy? <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. Hey, this is a, a little a little a lesson in trickery here in wizardry. I would yeah. say for how we're doing this. I think it's very. I think it's. I think. I think we should tell the secret behind the curtain on this one of how we are. Um, Can you verbalize the secret of how we're doing this right now? We are. We are using the Discord to Discord the Discord to <laughs> record the podcast. That's about accurate. Yeah. So we're we're using the Discord to to Discord the Discord for the podcast. This is a lot it more complicated. Like- <laughs> it sounds like we're just using Discord to do this, but there's so many weird hoops we just had to jump through to yep. get the audio working and everything. Right. This is this is literally the equivalent of I use the stones to destroy the stones. That's basically <laughs> what this is. Yes. <laughs> it's pretty uh yeah, it's 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 pretty it's pretty impressive if I must say that this actually is working right now and I hope it does work because if it doesn't this will be the saddest hour that I've spent of uh, not being able to to hear this again. But how you doing, buddy? How you doing down there in the in southern southern America? How, how's it going? S- south of this America? Yeah, I'm. Uh, so I'm down here in Texas, where uh, everything is on fire, literally and figuratively, because there <laughs> is uh, a peaking amount of coronavirus cases. Uh, sorry to date this show already, but that's what's happening right now. And uh, and also, it's 103 degrees outside, and that's what yeah. happens. Ugh. It's my first summer in Texas. Never experienced it before, so it's um, it's burning me up, and I'm basically just staying inside all the time because it's it's untenable. That's awful. I mean, it goes <laughs> hand in hand with the quarantine. Yeah, you have, yeah. Like, two reasons to stay inside. Actually, well, Matt knows this, but I have a third reason to stay inside, which is my baby daughter, who was born at the beginning of April, and uh, you'll notice. Uh, for listeners, you can't see this, but I am sitting in a closet right now. One, because it's the best sound <laughs> insulation, but also because my daughter is outside this room, caterwauling and crying like she's Carrie in Homeland. So uh, <laughs> I need to ensconce myself in a soundproof room in order to make this happen. I, I must say that you're, the soundproofing is incredible. It's a lot better than the last time I required, uh, I recorded with you guys in which it felt like I was in a chapel. Uh, this was back in 2015 when I was living <laughs> in Glastonbury and I was in a, a hardwooded room and it was like, yeah, you know, I was, I was just sitting in the middle of a church recording a podcast with you guys. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah. I saw your background. I was like, is he, is he in a closet? <laughs> I didn't want to say anything, but you are definitely in a closet. Tom Cruise won't come out the closet. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, well, that's cool. I um, yeah. I there's a video. I there's a, a channel on YouTube I watch called uh, I think it's called Living in Color. Um, if I remember properly, it's basically a guy who uh, who like vlogs his modifications on his cars, and he's just by himself in like a normal garage. It's not a special four post lift. It's not a super like like heavy modded out garage it's just a normal garage and he lives in texas and he just works on the car and he i watched a video and he, the video topic was cleaning the garage to get ready so he's organized for a big repair he's gonna do and he mentioned in the beginning he goes for those who don't know i'm in texas and uh 
uh, like if I stay out in this garage too long, I will die because <laughs> it's just <laughs> that's what it is in Texas. <laughs> so I'm going to keep the door open. So if it's like the lights too bright or whatever, sorry, but it's uh, the small glimmer of life that I can get from some form of breeze that may come by or I bake inside <laughs> this oven known as my garage and there's no way around it it's true um, he's so not that lying part, that part <laughs> yeah no so i'm glad i'm glad we have uh on the ground experience to to verify that kind of statement so that's good yeah i'm your, <laughs> I'm your local correspondent for garage heat <laughs> <laughs> okay so quick question because Chris and I were talking about this downstairs. Chris, Chris Krause and I were talking about this downstairs. Do you, A, play any Battle Royales? And B, do you care about Battle Royales? And they can be anything. It doesn't have to be Fortnite. We were talking specifically about Warzone, Call of Duty Warzone. It could be anything. But just do you have any type of preference to those kind of games? Uh, my preference is not to play them. I have played both <laughs> Warzone and Fortnite, um, just in, in a very dabbling capacity. And I think I was just playing them in a way that maybe the developers intended them to be played because I was trying to maximize the amount of items and weapons I was using and just trying to experience the world and the level as much as possible. I was getting in cars and driving around. And meanwhile, everybody else is hunkered down in a bin waiting for somebody to to sneak past and then they jump out and it's a big old mess. And I just realized that if that's what it's going to take to succeed in this game, then I don't want any part of it because it just mm. doesn't feel like that's how Epic or um, Infinity Ward had designed the games to be played. Like there's this massive map and all you're doing is staring at the inside of a garbage can and and so I, I didn't feel like wandering around the wasteland by myself for 40 minutes straight, you know, just happening to win. I, I won the very first match of Fortnite I ever played. And it's because wow. I was just kind of screwing around, avoiding all of the battles until I happened to encounter the very last person. And they were probably so jumpy by the time they saw me that I was able to take them out. I won one of the first uh, rounds of Fortnite I ever played, and it was because I thought it would be funny to try to hide inside a bush for as long as I could, which is very similar to a trash can in Warzone. <laughs> so, Chris, you never answered the question that I asked downstairs because I said save it for the podcast. Yes. <laughs> so what is your answer? What, what was the question? Was it the same question? Yeah, it was the same question. <laughs> I, I don't... Pretty much, I think, for the same reason. I think Timmy just really well verbalized why I don't like them, because the way that I think that they're meant to be played is not the way that you play them to win them. It's you you hide inside a bush until you realize, holy crap, I'm in the final three. Let me go see if I can get lucky and kill one person. Oh, I did. I guess I won now. Okay, so here's a better question for both of you. What is more important, the excitement of the game or winning in the game? Uh, I won by hiding in a bush, so not that. I did not enjoy it very much. So you prefer excitement? I guess. Yeah, I felt bad for the 99 other people that I beat. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Timmy? I would say the excitement of the game, and I've been thinking a lot about... Uh, so I'm a big gamer, um, as you... Two, the two of you guys might know and, and your your audience should uh, should learn about me. That is my main hobby. And 
I spent a lot of time thinking about video games and in terms of playing the game the way that the developers intended it to be played, that is when I find myself enjoying it the most. I don't necessarily enjoy a game the most when I am succeeding with flying colors at every moment while I'm playing it. In fact, failing in games is one of the more enticing ways to play them because that is that is in part how the developers intended you to play it. You play a game like Dark Souls and it's it's just all death all the time and conversely you play a game like say Pokemon I've been playing the first generation lately Pokemon Red and uh that game if you do it in the way that the developers intend you to play it which is to have a diverse team you can win every single fight that you ever play and so you actually have to manufacture challenge for yourself by not playing the way that the developers want you to. And so Mm -hmm. it's, it's more like facing adversity in games is why I play them. It's not to just kind of steamroll everybody, but when you play a game, that's a battle Royale, you're playing against, uh, only human players. It's never PVE. It's only ever PVP. And people generally are so focused on winning at any cost that they will optimize the fun out of the game. And, that really takes the the wind out of my sails. And the last thing that I'll say is optimizing the fun out of the game is not something that I came up with. I learned about that concept from uh, the Game Maker's Toolkit channel on YouTube, which is fantastic, and you should check it out if you're at all interested in the thought process behind games and how they're developed. I absolutely have to check that out because I was going to say that is such a good sentence, optimizing the fun out of the game. <laughs> It's a good point. It's a good point. I mean, so the the people I play with uh, are usually are typically just friends from work. Uh, we play Warzone, and I don't mind. See, I find excitement from the win, and there. Well, Warzone is is a unique beast in the fact that it kind of forces you into a situation. Uh, Apex does the same thing, where it kind of forces you into conflict. Like, yeah, you can kind of like bore your way through the game through the through the match until the end but with the penalties for doing so being difficult like it's more difficult to achieve that as time progresses i find i i find it's a matter in warzone especially it's a lot of judgment of choosing your battles such as is it worth it to engage now or is it worth it to avoid that conflict and then circle around and just try to gain a better position, like an advantageous location? Is it better to go for like a currency strategy where we're just going for loot and we're just going to just like become maxed out and then we're ready to rock and roll? Or are we going to slog our way through the countless amount of groups we have to <laughs> in order to loot them because they're the like the the... The easiest feeling ever is when you're just watching two squads fight each other and you're just waiting. And it's just the second one squad goes down, you just pounce and you just third party that, that, that winning squad before they can do anything. And then you just get to loot everything. It's like, yay, free free money for everybody, free bounty. So I... Vultures. Literally. <laughs> so I, I feel like it's a balance for how I play the game. But if you talk about the way that the developers wanted to pl- wanted you to play it, I don't know. There's some games such as Dark Souls that you mentioned. I 
I hate that game. <laughs> I just, I, I know it's good, and I've played it, and it, it's very, it turns into this kind of plateau that you know you can breach with the right amount of effort and time. You know, such as you run into a boss you can't get past, or a certain combination of of attackers like hit you at a certain spot, and you know that you can get past them with the right moves and the right play style. You can figure it out, and I get that. But I was watching a streamer do Dark Souls, and she kept dying because the boss was inst- was was camp spawning when she portaled <laughs> into a new dimension she would portal and as she's walking out this thing is just slicing her already down and it was just after the sixth time i just stopped i i i, I just i just can't i just i'm getting so frustrated by this and you just keep walking into the wall without like trying to get around the wall in any way not that she could because that's part of the the level progression but it's just so frustrating to, to see that, to just see failure over and over and over. And it's not even that she was a bad player. It was just there's no way around it. She was trying to armor up, not enough. She was trying to go for mobility, not fast enough. She was trying to like time it differently, not she couldn't. She was trying to boost her stats, not enough. It was just, I'm going to go through this portal because I have to, and then I'm just going to die. And I cannot get past this part for now until I figure out a way to do it or until the computer randomly glitches out and spawns the dude on far enough away from the portal that when my guy walks through it, I can just like roll my ass up the stairs before it can chase me. <laughs> There's probably some way to beat that. Like that's the whole thing with Dark Souls is like you die, you die, you die until you learn this one little mechanic that you can essentially exploit <laughs> to... Yeah. To get past it. It's almost like Limbo, which you'd still have barely played, right? Correct. Yeah. <laughs> you cut to the spider, which I played through it recently. The spider's like 15 minutes into that game. Yeah, that's... so bad. And that's, that's so funny uh, that, that you mentioned that, because I sat a friend of mine down to play Limbo just so I could watch him, because I played it like four or five times through, so I know every beat of that game, and the... Mm the fascinating thought process that some players will go through of why isn't this working? I get up close to it and it skewers me through the head and then I just lose and there, and it's inevitable. Some people just will face that as there is no way for me to succeed here. And interesting. What's so funny about that is that the game is already telling you that this is a surmountable obstacle because it immediately reloads a very close by checkpoint right before that happens. So it's telling you, Mm -hmm. we expected you to die here. And so Mm -hmm. you need to switch up your approach here so that you don't just repeatedly die over and over and over again. And we're facilitating that by not sending you back to the beginning of the game or some manual save point that you did. It's designed to be played that way. But some people just death, adversity, failure, and then they're, they're done and they, they, (laughs) Uh, can't deal with it yeah for for me for me it was i don't like spiders <laughs> i can't spiders, help you there failure. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was it i mean yes that was definitely a, a adversity for me but i saw the giant spider legs and i freaked out and i was just nope i'm good i'm good <laughs> you gotta give it another chance i solved it i solved it but i was just thinking 
are there more spiders then? And then you see him crawling in the background and shit. And I was, yeah, I don't need to play the spider game. Like, it's, <laughs> I just, I don't like spiders. I'm not going to play the spider game where it, it glorifies spiders and they're all over the place. That's just nightmare fuel. I don't need that. <laughs> I think the reason why I would prefer a, a game like Dark Souls or, say, Metroid, which I have tattooed on my arm, uh, or both of my arms, um, is because the, the game rewards you by you being familiar with the world in which it takes place. And so the more familiar you get with how the world that Dark Souls, uh, how it's put together, the more that you can take advantage of the fact that there's a shortcut from the undead parish to the Firelink Shrine, which previously, up until that point, if you needed to get back there, you would have had to slog all the way back the way you came. But if you explore and you're willing to put in the time to get familiar with the environment that the game takes place in, then you're rewarded for it. And that can be the difference between you banging your head against the wall indefinitely or you know that there's some other part of the game you can go and visit, get stronger, come back, and then you can maybe mulch the boss that was giving you a hard time before. A game like Warzone and just the whole Battle Royale model, it doesn't really matter how familiar you are with the world in in the brief experience that I have because that's not really the point of being on this level, it, things are randomized. There's not necessarily a guaranteed lo- uh, loadout of where you're going to be landing or where you're going to be checking out. It's not the same every single time, which is that dovetails with how that game is designed. So at that point, the world and its environment for all of the expensive amount of programming and design that went into it, I'm sure those designers cry themselves to sleep every night because none of the players are noticing any of the detail that they're putting into the world they're too busy staring at the inside of a bin. Hmm. And that matters to me. And I, I imagine, Matt, that there is your experience of getting together with your coworkers and playing Warzone is more analogous to playing pickup basketball after work than it would be to get together and to and to, to have the, the the solitary experience of playing a video game uh by yourself or, or to even do like a co-op campaign in say gears of war or halo. What you're doing is more of like a, a recreational sport than it is, uh, the, the narrative experience of a game. Mm. That's true. Yeah. I mean, I do the same thing with, uh, with overwatch where I like over now. Now there's two stuff. There's two speeds to overwatch for me, which is one. It's super Zen chill out mode where I just, put on some chill music and I just I just play and I fuck around um, whether it's with friends or by myself or I am super hardcore into it where I will only play with at least like a three or four stack of people I know so we can communicate strategize we can deploy effectively we know how to like change comps and counter comps and it gets super intense then and and I actually haven't played overwatch that seriously like that for quite some time because a lot of people, it's hard to just align the timing for everybody. But I feel like, and, and the more I play, the more I realize this, especially now that I built a, a gaming rig, um, a gaming computer, I realize more now that I really game socially. I don't really game too much anymore for the single player part. Mm. And that's in part, I think, because of the way I value the investment of my time into it, where I look at it as such an investment. You know, I was I was 
debating playing uh, Switch and playing uh, Breath of the Wild just last weekend, and I ended up not doing it because I was thinking I'm gonna ha- I'm gonna it's gonna take so much of my night because I'm not just gonna play it for 20 minutes. I'm not just gonna play like one chapter of it because there are no chapters. You just gotta keep going. Well, I mean, there's chapters, but. You know what I mean? It's not easy to differentiate a sequence within that game. You just get lost in it and you play it. Compared to, there was a possibility that two of my friends were going to hit me up and just say, hey man, I'm coming on Warzone for the next 45 minutes if you want to play. I can jump in, hang out, quote unquote, for 45 minutes, have some funny moments, and then it's over. And then after that, it's just, oh, I'm going to go chill on the couch and then go to bed. I don't know. It's just, it's the way I view gaming now, which is completely different because growing up, it was the complete opposite. Growing up for me, it was completely single-player story, Knights of the Old Republic, RPG, building my character in a story, Mass Effect, freaking out about the choices of my actions kind of experiences. And then it's weird how as I've gotten older, I've valued those things less, which is, don't say anything, Chris, why I still haven't beaten Red Dead Redemption 2 because, <laughs> because of that exact kind of investment where I know it's that kind of investment and it's just oh man it's just yeah i could just do like two missions but i know it snowballs and i know it takes up so much more of my time to to go through this because it's not just a small thing it's like like we were talking about it the other week it's so hard to just say ooh i just want to watch that one good scene from inglorious bastards it doesn't it's that's not how that works you watch the one good scene and the next thing you know you're 2 hours into the movie and you still have what an hour to go like that's just how it works it's not easy to do that with <laughs> with with a good movie when you go to do that it's just no now you're wrapped in it and now it's a commitment and now yeah that's what it is it's no longer in a moment it's now an experience and it's now a commitment and it's now this big thing to me that's just much more involved than a simple hey let's do a quick war zone game oh we're done okay we don't have dinner bye guys and we all just lock off we can Clean our hands, cleanse our hands of of that sin so easily. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> Chris, would you say that you generally prefer narrative games? Yeah, it was really interesting that Dub said he was the opposite growing up because I was also the opposite growing up. I definitely get more satisfaction out of a really good narrative game. Um, but growing up, it was almost purely social. It was Mario Kart, Smash Brothers... Crash Team Racing, Halo multiplayer, stuff like that. And then now it's more of Breath of the Wild, The Last of Us, things like that, where I'll still play, like, Minecraft and Overwatch are my go-to, like, social games, but I definitely I definitely have switched. Like, late high school, early college, I completely switched more into, like, the narrative mindset. Can you put your finger on... Uh, I, and I know I'm on your podcast, but I... I, I, I love this conversation so far so i'm just going to keep acting like i'm interviewing you um oh yeah (laughs) yeah it's fine it's fine uh can you put your finger on maybe what game you played that was the turning point or just what was happening in your life that prompted that yes uh shadow of the colossus like far and away I i was playing all of those uh like multiplayer games with my friends and then one of my friends in like middle school let me borrow uh this kind of weird japanese game for ps2 where you just fight 16 boss battles and that's the whole game but the story is really cool you got to check out the story um and i played it and like played it over and over and over again because it's fairly quick i think now i could get through it in like four hours because i know exactly where all the bosses are and how to beat them um but then like 
so many things about it struck me like how I watched this video recently about soft uh, soft world building versus hard world building in like movies and things like that, where hard world building is more of like the Lord of the Rings, like here's everything about the world that you're watching this movie from. It's like we give you this encyclopedia of knowledge versus like spirited away, where it's like it's implied that there's all of these rules and here's like a taste of them and we don't tell you what the rules are, but we could show you these characters who are reacting to those rules that are seemingly there. Shadow of uh, the Colossus had a lot of that, where there's a lot of like sculptures that mean certain things, and there's a lot of things that are unexplained but have certain properties that they that they don't tell you, which was so fascinating to me. And then I was like, "Are there more games like these?" <laughs> and then I got into like that's when I really got into Zelda, which is my favorite series of all time, and Metroid and things like that, and it just like opened a whole door for me of things i was missing since like the 80s essentially i think soft world building is probably the best way to articulate why i generally enjoy narrative games because those are the kinds of games that i have the most fun with and so a game like uh let's just pick on red dead redemption 2 and it can take it because it's one of the most critically acclaimed games of its generation so it can it can stand a little bit of criticism that game will not shut up ever <laughs> there are, every yeah. and it, it's constantly announcing itself and explaining itself and that's the rockstar model like there is very much a time and a place for that and i find myself not wanting to play a game like red Dead redemption 2 when uh so for for me with a three-month-old baby the only time that i get to play games now is when she is in bed and i'm in that period of time before i have to feed her again in the middle of the night and then i can go to bed so i play games during that time i think cognitively i am not able to absorb the exposition that happens in a game like red dead redemption 2 which very much feels like uh expository in the way that a television show can be where you have plot and it's happening to you in a in a cinematic way and i feel like games with soft world building like shadow of the colossus Silent Hill 2, the Metroid series, mm. Dark Souls very much is hands-off in terms of telling you its story, is a game that allows you to be immersed in it and you learn about the environment and what's happening in the game just by looking around, which is something that you cannot replicate in, in any other medium save for if you're watching a genre film, like a science fiction film, and the production design is doing a lot of the heavy lifting. And, and say, like, Alien. That's a movie where the characters are not necessarily talking about the, the circumstances under which everything is happening, but you can see everything in the production design there. And I feel like that's why I'm drawn to those, those games the most, because it feels like I'm doing something that I cannot replicate anywhere else. Hmm. That's so I was gonna say oh something like Alien where like all the the set design and like until Prometheus where they made a, a origin movie to explain all that stuff like there's so many questions about the planet they land on and the ship and all that stuff but it's implied and you could fill in the backstory yourself and that's oftentimes more satisfying than like Red Dead Redemption being told everything that's happening um but, Dubs, that being said, you should still play more Red Dead Redemption because you loved it and you're going to keep loving it. 
Yeah, I know. I I know. I know. I know. I I mean, um to to hit a little bit of the alien tangent, um as somebody who doesn't really care, I act I really don't like horror movies just cuz I think the majority of them I I've, I've had this conversation with you Timmy. I find the majority of them to be gimmicky where it's going off of kind of the film trick of let's be silent, then a loud noise, let's have you know darkness and then you can then we have bright light you know what i mean it's, it's just it's easy to play into that let's have a lot of blood and then it's just oh man i'm not used to seeing that kind of imagery it's so it's so visceral to me etc cetera, etc cetera. um i don't know why i hold alien in such high regard as a film in general but for me personally as a horror movie I'm assuming it's because I don't have a lot of experience with horror movies because I don't like them. So I haven't seen many of them. But I feel like um, what you were saying, Chris, about Prometheus. I saw Prometheus because, not because I was thinking, oh man, it's in the alien universe, so it's going to be so good. No, it was because I was curious about that world that universe i wanted to know about the aliens i wanted to know about the creators and i wanted to know about why i wanted to know about how and when and how is it, how does it relate and how does it tie into the story that i already know about alien and ripley and all that stuff it was more of the curiosity of wanting to know kind of more of just the index of of what that movie brings to the alien universe less of ooh that looks like such a good scary movie kind of incentive for me to want to go see it but that was my primary reason but watching it especially when the aliens are involved like the alien portion of it it's kind of just it's like oh there good old alien stuff there it is it, it was it was it wasn't me saying wow it's so good it's like such a good horror movie just like alien that was not crossing my mind at all it was me thinking a lot of like Oh look, it's the oh it's the scary trick here. Oh, there's the scary trick when it's dark everywhere except for just over the main character we see in in that shot. And sh- I'm sure nothing will happen to this character in this scene. <laughs> it's it's I, I I enjoyed it because I got to understand a lot more. But I also had more questions. Like spoiler, if you didn't see if you care about Prometheus from what seven years ago, six years ago, yeah, five <laughs> years ago, however long ago that was, um, that beginning scene where that dude kind of just self implodes himself like that never gets explained really Mm. or maybe it did and i just forgot it but that just made more questions for me it was just me thinking like what the (laughs) what what is this this dude's a chia pet and then he just like just for the planet (laughs) is that what he does you know i was just that that, that's that's just where i wanted to say i just want to say a piece about alien and (laughs) and prometheus because to get that chia pet line out I, I mean that just came to me, but yeah, I just, I just needed to get that out. And you can say what you want to respond to me because I know you have way more knowledge about this kind of stuff than I do when it comes to film. So I, I think Alien is as effective and memorable as it is, and I and I really do just mean the first movie. The second film is a different genre and has its own thing going on, and is just as valuable as an action film. But the first movie. Uh, does do atmosphere in a horror movie maybe better than any other horror movie that I can think of in a way that Ridley Scott would never be able to do again, except for maybe Blade Runner. I think he, I think he shot his load with Blade Runner, and he's never been able to get to that level of soft world building and subtlety and just ma- immersing you in an environment ever again. I think he, he found a 
a mainstream mode that made him successful and that's where he's been ever since then but alien was his second movie and he was trying things he was working with a a cast that is not what you would typically expect to see in a movie like that um gets somebody like harry dean stanton tom scarrett like those are not horror movie stars they are not action action stars and obviously sigourney weaver so there was a lot of unusual things happening with it that just kind of cohere really well into a very uncanny experience that you don't really see anywhere else. Um, and in terms of replicating that in a video game, uh, Alien Isolation is a, is an okay attempt at trying to migrate that atmosphere into a video game if you guys have played it before. But one of the games that I had mentioned before, Matt, if you're curious about not only horror, trying to find horror that is not the same script, not literally the same script, but like not, it's not following the same beats as other horror movies or other horror fiction, play Silent Hill 2. Because that game zigs when you expect it to zag, and it keeps you unsteady through a subtle feeling of oppression that just kind of weighs on you as you're playing it. And that's through sound design, it's through the erratic behavior of the characters the creature design is very uh unnerving but not because somebody is uh you know vomiting blood all over your face or it's not like dead space where somebody uh bursts out of a vent and uh, an entire orchestra gets stung by bees at the same time it's it's this crushing feeling <laughs> it's this crushing feeling of loneliness and despair that just kind of weighs on you from the very beginning and they got it right in 2001 and they really haven't been able to to get it since in horror in video games ever since then mm. do you remember silent hills the, the uh PT? kojima yeah oh my gosh did i ever talk to about pt to you there was this game I, it was like a fake game company made an announcement at i think the video game awards or some playstation conference saying that there's this new uh this new horror game from this new developer that we're very excited for. It's called PT and there's a demo available for it on the PlayStation store right now and you can go play it. People started playing it and it was very creepy. It had really good atmosphere. Uh, it was, it was very tense the whole time and it was, um, I forget the word, but where like geometry doesn't make sense. You walk down a hallway, you turn right, you open a door and you're back at the hallway that you just started from. Um, and like you just keep recycling that same hallway over and over again. Um, and that was pretty much the whole demo. But there was a radio playing the story of how a guy snapped and killed his family and his kids and things like that. And then people still slowly started to realize that there were like secrets that you could unlock um, that like progressed you through the demo that people thought was just one hallway over and over again. They slowly started to find out that there was more and more to it. Uh, and then eventually people beat it by doing crazy things. Like I remember one of the things you had to do to beat the demo was you had to have a microphone plugged into your PlayStation and say a certain phrase that like there was a hint for somewhere early in the game. And if you say that phrase after the clock chimes a certain time, then it will progress you to the next part. And then eventually you beat it. Uh, and it plays a trailer and that's when it revealed it was revealed that this whole demo was like a trailer for this new game and it was revealed that pt stands for playable teaser 
Uh, it's not actually the name of the game. It's this new game uh, made by Hideo Kojima, who made all the Metal Gear Solid games, uh, starring Norman Reedus and Guillermo del Toro. Or no, it was like produced by Guillermo del Toro, who's made like horror movies and Hellboy and stuff like that. And it was called Silent Hills. <laughs> like multiple silent hills uh, and people like lost their minds because it had been out for like a month and nobody had figured this out but people were very slowly getting farther and farther and then like i remember there's like a twitch stream uh a saved twitch stream of the guy who figured out like finally put all the pieces together to get to the end and he like loses his mind and it like spread on the internet like wildfire and it was such a cool way to tease a game and then he got fired from konami <laughs> so it, it, it never got to be made <laughs> And then Konami uh, basically stopped making the Silent Hill property altogether after that point. Um, and now they yeah. just make pachinko machines because it's more profitable. <laughs> yep. <laughs> they fired the best thing about their company by far. Like, at that point, I knew Konami for Silent Hill. Uh they had Kojima and Dance Dance Revolution. Yeah. <laughs> that was like all I knew Konami for. Yeah. Uh, and then they fired him. They shut down Silent Hill. And then pl- essentially PlayStation just gave him tons and tons of money to make Death Stranding. Yes. Um, which is that game that I showed you trailers for. And, yeah. I know Death Stranding. Yeah. And it like took a bunch of those people from the Silent Hills project like Norman Reedus and Guillermo and stuff like that. But it was such a shame because mm-hmm. I played PT and I like every time those new bits of information wouldn't come out, I would go back and like play through them so I could see them myself. And I was like, oh, my God, there's a trailer at the end. And I did all the weird steps that you have to do. Uh, and it was it was really good. I was very convinced that he was going to nail it, but they completely shut it down. So. First of all, did you ever play Death Stranding, Timmy? I own Death Stranding. I've played it for a couple of hours. Um, I have no problems with it. It's, But it's an equally huge and intimidating kind of game. And uh, and it's also very uh, story-based, very expositional in the way that Red Dead Redemption 2 is. And I just haven't had the headspace to do it. Okay. Fair enough. I was going to ask your opinion. You just gave it. Thank you. I was going to say, or I was going to ask more directly, if you had to put something up to compete against in both film and video games, Silent Hill 2 and Alien, as far as what you think from a more modern recent time could compete against those two titles in both the respective categories of being a video game and a movie, is there anything that would come to mind? In or horror? no? Is it kind of just, nope, don't. Yeah, like like basically, if you had to if you had to say like here's the here's the champion of the past, Alien. What is a what do you think is a recent modern time counterpart that could go up against it uh, on a rating scale? And the same thing with 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 Silent Hill too. Or is this is this is this one of those you know those are the greats and nothing's touching it and it's on a pedestal that can't be broken. No, I mean, I don't think that ever exists under any circumstance, um, which is for the best because, you know, we all might as well just stop playing games right now if there's nothing that's ever going to be worth <laughs> comparing it to <laughs> or watching movies. But okay. um, in terms of like a more recent, uh, I'll, I'll start with a movie. Um, I think one of my favorite horror movies of the last few years is It Comes at Night. Have either of you heard of that before? I don't think so, no. I don't think so. It comes at night. I don't think so, no. Okay. Um, I So th- so Matt's familiar with this practice of mine. Chris, I don't know. If, uh, I, 
I don't know if we've met before. Have we met before? I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> I, 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 I don't, I, yeah, I don't, I, I didn't think we had. Um, so I have a tendency to avoid trailers and other promotional material for any movie that I know that I'm going to see. And so one of those that I did that for is this movie, It Comes at Night. And uh, so because we're talking about it here and it's three years old, I will talk about it a little bit, but I will encourage people to try to go in knowing as little as possible. The premise of the movie is that very appropriately to right now, some kind of pandemic has decimated the population, at least of the United States. And so Joel Edgerton, his wife, Carmen Ajogo and their son are holed up in a, in a, um, a mansion in the woods, essentially, to just try to isolate themselves as much as possible. They have a, a, a dog with them, and they're just kind of protecting themselves from it. And you see immediately the stakes because Grandpa is dying in the very first scene of whatever pandemic is is hitting the rest of the world. So you know that it's actually happening. It's not just in their heads. Like, this thing is real. And things get upended when a young man stumbles onto their property looking for food and they decide not to kill him and to take him and his uh, toddler son and wife in to stay with them. And they just try to like coexist as two separate families hunker down in the same house with each other. And mm. it's extremely tense. And uh, the you could tell that the director, Trey Edward Schultz, was very much inspired by the the very methodical camera work of the shining and, and uh, Stanley Kubrick and how he uses a lot of very menacing, slow moving shots to give you this sense of dread and inevitability to how, you know, that something is going to go wrong. This, it's not just going to be about a couple of families getting together during a pand- pandemic and everything's just being okay. So, um, mm. and I, and I won't spoil anything from there, but it, it just, investigates the dynamics between these two families and just the fear of the unknown just kind of pervades this movie and how that can infect your behavior to the people around you, which you can see happening right now. So maybe it's not now is not a good time to watch it comes at night because it might feel painfully close to what is actually happening in the world right now. Um, so that that's probably what I would submit for for film. I actually, when you said Joel Edgerton and the like, the mansion in the woods, I did see a trailer for that back then, and I remember thinking that looks like it's going to be very tense and very good, and then just they completely dropped off my radar. So I definitely want to give that a look. A quick asterisk for those who remember from the uh, Endgame spoiler cast: Yes, this is the Timmy that I kept referencing as to why I didn't watch oh. anything, and I was in blackout mode. This is also the same Timmy that I was referencing when we did the uh, the Star Wars spoiler cast about how I once again tried to avoid as much as possible. There was a little slip up by Chris here, but there was um, 
Yes, this is the Timmy that nice. I got that from. So for the, I was wondering if is this the same guy he was talking? <laughs> yes, it is the same guy that I was talking about. Yeah. So just an asterisk. So. I don't know how far you take it, Timmy, but <laughs> Dubs, we literally we went to see Endgame together for Dubs' first time. I think my third time. He walked into the movie theater with blinders on his face, so he didn't see the movie poster on the way into the theater because he didn't even want to know what was on the movie poster. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that is um, that is more or less what I did when I was at the Dark Knight Rises premiere back in 2012. Um, <laughs> I, I was seeing it at midnight. I was seeing it as a triple feature with the first two films. And there was, as you imagine, oh, wow. a ton of uh, publicity stuff all around the theater. This was in uh, Plainville in Connecticut. And and I was just, yeah, heads down. Like, I just relied on my... Uh, my uh, girlfriend at the time, my, now my wife, to just kind of be my eyes. She was my seeing eye person walking through the theater just so I didn't see anything. <laughs> I didn't even know what Bane looked like before I went wow. and saw that movie. So it's That's effective. intense. That's it, awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> it's effective. I knew he was in it, and I knew Tom Hardy was playing him, and that's all I had. I was picturing, like, the big Lucha Libre-style guy from, like, the animated series and from the Rocksteady games, and then he was just not that at all in uh in the actual movie so it's it's a it's worth trying that's, at least once yeah that's really good i definitely i do that lightly not with movies really but for video games that i know i'm gonna care a lot about i try not to completely investigate every part of them after uncharted 3 came out because uncharted 2 i think was one of the most like unexpectedly good times I've ever had with a video game. I was just blown away by how fun and how good that story was. It was like I was living an Indiana Jones movie. Um, and to me, that game is a 10 out of 10. And all the reviews were like 9 and a half, 9, 10 out of 10. And then the reviews for Uncharted 3 came out and it was like 10 out of 10 across the board. And I was like, are you kidding me? It's better than Uncharted 2. Um, so I went into it with like astronomically high expectations and it was fantastic but it completely didn't live up to my hype so i completely at all cost avoid reviews um but i'll i'll definitely watch like at least the first movie trailer or the first video game trailer and then once i'm sold and i know it's going to be a good time i just like shut down mm -hmm. and then like for end game and star wars and things like that i like shut off the internet a week before it comes out <laughs> like no reddit no twitter like none of it um yeah because there's, there's spoilers anywhere <laughs> i saw i saw an amazon review for like a refrigerator i was or my friend showed me because he was looking for a new refrigerator he showed me an amazon review for a refrigerator he just showed it to me and said look at the reviews and one of them was like four out of five stars iron man dies at the end of endgame <laughs> and it's like on an Amazon refrigerator review? It was insane. Wow, nowhere is safe. Trolls. Yeah. No, trolls, <laughs> trolls. Dude, it's um I'm assuming you didn't listen to the episode because you've heard me gush and 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 repeat my movie going experiences. And also you know me very well, so you probably don't need to hear it. <laughs> but um Chris's recount of my experience of not seeing anything <laughs> and my recount of how because I saw nothing like everything was just dialed up to 10 in that movie for me which and we don't need to go into you know the worth of of the the 
of Endgame of being a, a you know like something film worthy to critique, but just like a perfect example is because I didn't know anything because I didn't see anything. I thought in the first five minutes I was about to watch Iron Man die because <laughs> like, I didn't know of any other scene in the movie because I didn't see anything of Tony Stark and RDJ in the movie at all. So I never saw anything. So I just in the first five minutes, I'm already in the mode of he's dead already in the beginning of this film. He's done. Like, there's <laughs> oh, my gosh, he's just going to die without oxygen in the middle of space. I can't believe they're about to do this because I because everybody kept saying it's the end of the contracts for these people. They all want to move on because they're all done with this universe and their characters. So I knew that there was an end coming. And the fact that it was immediately starting off with that, I just thought, I can't believe they're going to end it like this. I can't believe they're about to end RDJ's entire investment into this franchise with the first five minutes being him just saying goodbye into a, a shitty camera that's failing on him. Like, that's that's it. That's how that's how Iron Man ends. That's how this, this, this is how it ends. I can't believe this. It was incredible. It was like taking my son to go watch a movie every five minutes. He would like look over me and be like, Dad, are they really doing that? <laughs> I'm just like, watch the movie, kid. Watch yeah. the movie. <laughs> oh. I definitely want to do that. There's like nothing crazy huge on the horizon for besides uh, Tenet. Like, that's the only movie I could think of that's got me super, super hyped. And I saw that first trailer, and I'm like, okay, I'm sold. I don't want to know anything else about this movie. Uh, because I know, first of all, the more trailers I watch, the more thrown off I'm going to be once the actual movie starts. So I just, I'm ready to go into that one blind. But there's really nothing that I could think of that's worthy of doing a blackout for. Unless you guys can correct First me. of all, how dare you? How what? dare you? What? Not blackout for any of the, any of Endgame. Or Star Wars. That was just... I was too excited. I know. I, I know, couldn't. I, know. Um, I want to ask you because you are... I know you're a definite admirer on some level of, of being a fan of his. When you see, like, Tenet, or you just see a new Christopher Nolan movie, do you... Is your reaction just, oh, it's another Christopher Nolan movie. I kind of have an idea of what it's going to be. Or do you have more of a... I know it's going to be good. I'm just curious as to what this movie's going to be. Like 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 what's So what is your take on on Tenet and just when you see a Christopher Nolan trailer or notice of hey, Chris Chris Nolan's going to be doing something. Like what is your what goes through your head? So with Tenet, I know nothing about it. I I know only that Robert Pattinson and John David Washington star and that's it. I have no plot. I have no imagery in my head i haven't even seen any of the first trailers like i i got nothing and so when i know that christopher nolan is coming out with a new movie like take dunkirk for example which um i think actually that the last time that i was on a podcast with you matt we talked about dunkirk it was in 2017 uh that is that that's a historical movie it takes place in world war ii it's about an actual battle that happened and so spoilers isn't really a thing when it comes to plot but the way that the movie is made and the, the, the imagery, like I said before, um, the casting, that's a whole other thing that if you go in blacked out, then you don't actually know who's going to end up in the movie. And so that just becomes pleasurable in and of itself when you go and actually see the thing. And so with Dunkirk, I didn't know that it had the kind of triptych structure and the, the sense of time, that time was so important 
to the way that that movie was edited and and uh, just designed as a war movie was a really exciting experience. Comprehending that in the theater, in the moment, realizing like that's how this is done. This is this is the way that he's chosen to do this was astounding. And so because I know that Christopher Nolan is impressive, not just when he's doing a Batman film, which is just inherently of interest to me, or even when he's doing a giant space epic like Interstellar, which I liked, but I didn't love in the way that uh, I felt about his other movies because it was, I think it was a big, uh, a swing, a big swing and a miss uh, for the, but it was a swing and a miss for the fences. He's always doing something interesting but he always has a massive budget behind him and he's going to take <laughs> that massive budget and turn it into something that's more than just the salary for the, the headlining cast. He's going to turn it into something that you may have not seen before, or he's mainstreaming something that was on the fringes that you haven't heard of. Like with inception, for example, he took a lot of, the imagery and the storytelling techniques from the animator Satoshi Kon and put them into Inception. If you go back and you watch Paprika or um, other films by this animator who's now, unfortunately, he passed away really young, Satoshi Kon, you will see so much of Inception just having nicked it from those movies. So Christopher Mm. Nolan himself is a cinephile. He's always doing something that is on a grand scale and almost guaranteed guaranteed to be more interesting than anything else that's in the theater at that time and potentially even during the entire season in which it comes out. Yeah. Yeah, because even like when you say like Christopher Nolan, oh, this is going to come out and it's going to be great and it's going to be like another one of those Christopher Nolan movies, he's done so many different things at this point now. Like Memento, the Batman movies were obviously very similar. But then Inception is, I think, what people think of when they're like, oh, it's going to be a Christopher Nolan movie. It's going to be like Inception. But then Dunkirk was a war movie. Interstellar was a space epic. And he's done so many. He's touched into so many different genres. It's usually sci-fi. It's some type of grounded, somewhat sci-fi. But... Yeah, it's it. I loved Interstellar. I did not like it on my first watch. It to me, it was very underwhelming on my first watch. I'm like, eh, okay, I I get that. But then I rewatched it, and I actually watched like breakdown videos of things about it that I didn't quite catch, and then rewatching it and tying all those in together, and uh, like the the undertones that I didn't quite pick up on, which I guess is part of why it's. I may be overpraising it because I had to watch a 20 minute YouTube video telling me why it's good for me to realize why it's good, where I would have preferred to just realize that while watching it. But, um, yeah, my, my problem with interstellar. So here's the thing. Christopher Nolan is kind of like, um, to me, like, like when you say, when I hear that I'm going to see a movie by Christopher Nolan, it's very much, I have a similar reaction to when somebody says, Oh, this is a Tarantino movie. It's kind of just, there's certain points that I expect to be hit. Do you know what I mean? There's, it's kind of like, uh, I'm expecting these flavors mm. for better or less of a, of a term to use because I don't have a good vocabulary to explain it. <laughs> I expect flavors from, from Christopher Nolan and I expect flavors from Tarantino. And sometimes, like especially Tarantino, it's very obvious. I'm going to expect um, 
like a, a specific take on crudeness and violence. I'm gonna take uh, a, like a, a brutality to the like the character honesty and the character actions that I'm gonna be seeing portraying through like whatever. That's Tarantino. The thing I had a problem with with Interstellar wasn't that I, I just thought, like, for example, I have no clue why you say it was a swing and a miss. Your reasons are probably way more valid from an actual critique standpoint. My critique of it is just I don't understand some of the some of the things he's talking about. Like, I didn't understand <laughs> the the terms, definitions, the theories, the physics. I didn't understand the black hole concept. I didn't understand um, the time travel, the communication stuff. Like. I think if I understood, like the only thing I kind of understood was the the gravitational like effect on time with the planet that they went on, the wave planet. That's the only thing I kind of understood. Where from a, <laughs> I'm a dumb dumb. Can I understand what they're talking about? Point of being a viewer. I got that part. I understood that. And then it was cool the way they kind of dragged it out. So you like I too was also anxious when they returned and I was just thinking I felt like it was only a few minutes if that it can't be that long nothing bad could have happened like nothing too bad could have happened and then you had this breakdown of of what happened in that time frame when you see the impact and you feel the impact um it was yeah it was more just I was watching it and I feel like this is easy to say with the Christopher Nolan movie they're beautiful you know and I'm not just saying oh like obviously it's high def I mean it's beautiful in the way that the graphics are being depicted like like especially in like uh inception where there's obviously some green screen there's obviously a lot of special effects it's beautiful like the way he he depicts time slowing down where they're going into different levels it's beautiful like the way the water hits and the way they're slowly being moved and and then how they're moving in a different different level and how it's a different speed and yeah, and, and especially the people he uses in his films, which I understand the majority of them are the same. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they're great, and and he has a very good... He does a great job with them all the time, you know? Um, but it's just Interstellar, for me, I just couldn't understand the concepts of what they were talking about. So I felt like an idiot trying to... Cause the scene would move on, and now we go. Whoa, whoa, no, no, no! Wait a minute. Why? Why is that happening then? If this and this, and the next thing I know, it's not talked about again. It's referenced maybe like an hour later, and because of that, I just felt stupid watching it. Um, but from going back to the beauty standpoint, I thought just the colors, the saturation, it's it's beautiful. I don't know how he does it or what he uses to make that his style. IMAX. <laughs> IMAX helps, but but you know what I'm saying, Timmy? Like you know what I'm saying. I know you know what I'm saying. Yeah, the the so Nolan has worked really with just two cinematographers his whole career. Um, first with Wally Pfister, uh, who he was with through The Dark Knight Rises, and then he Wally Pfister, uh, who won an Oscar for Inception, went on to make Transcendence, that movie with Johnny Depp and. Um, a bunch of other big stars who have been in Christopher Nolan movies and it was kind of a piece of crap, but, uh, he then moved on to work with, um, Hoyte Van Hoytema, who also shot Spectre, which is another amazing looking big budget action movie. Uh, and he's made interstellar Dunkirk and I presumably tenant with him as well. It's these, these people who know how to take an action scene and make it look like somebody put a lot of thought into the way that it is going to appear on screen. It's not just 
a shaky cam with a ton of cuts and we're going to figure it out in post-production, like on set, what's the lighting like? How does that impact the feeling that you get while you're watching it? And how much of the screen, ideally an IMAX screen, can we fill with this image? And that's that's something that you can really count on with a Christopher Nolan movie that you, with an action movie, even a big uh, action series like the Marvel movies have, you wouldn't say, oh yeah, I remember that had, I, I couldn't tell you a single cinematographer who has worked on a Marvel movie except for Matty Libatik who worked on the first two Iron Man movies because he's Darren Aronofsky's cinematographer and it was just weird that he was doing the Iron Man movies. Um, uh, so with Interstellar, and this is kind of a, a, a dichotomy, Matt, that you and I have is where I care about if a movie makes emotional sense and I think you tend to get fixated on whether it makes logical sense. And that can kind of dictate whether you enjoy a movie or not, hence our major disagreement over uh, the, the, oh my gosh, what's it called? The second recent Star, Star Wars, Wars movie, which we don't have to rehash here, but that was the crux of our disagreement <laughs> there. And with, <laughs> with Interstellar, the reason why it felt like a big swing for the fences and ultimately a miss is that it's a movie that is going for this massive emotional impact and Christopher Nolan, for all of his strengths as a director, almost never knows how to land an emotional moment. He whiffs it mm. almost every single time. And I think it's because he just doesn't care enough about that aspect of filmmaking. He co-writes his scripts either by himself or with uh, his brother a lot of the time. So it's not like he's not involved in that aspect of the filmmaking but it's just not something he's naturally good at. He's also bad at handling women. They, they tend to be uh, symbolic or ciphers in his movies or, uh, or it just is irrelevant who, whose gender is what. And that, some, that has value, especially in a big science epic like uh, Interstellar. Maybe that's not even necessarily the point. But that movie felt like it should have ended for him at the script level they should have had him on set as a producer for the visual aspects of it. And then Steven Spielberg should have directed it because he would have nailed the emotional moments in that movie. But Nolan just, he just can't do it. And that's mm -hmm. why ultimately what it's going for on a narrative level just didn't work for me because it, it just hit with a big old thud and it has nothing to do with Matthew McConaughey. I think he, can be a really talented actor when he's directed well. And I think he was in that movie. Um, mm. It's, it's really just Nolan can't get out of his own way. He's trying to get an emotional moment with you, but you're stuck in the, you know, like five moments back because you're hung up on the logic of it all. And not you specifically, Matt, just the viewer. You're just like, wait, what the hell is happening right now? I'm supposed to care about what's happening on screen emotionally, but I'm so confused that I can't even figure it out. And so you've lost me. That's a really good point, because that was like that feeling I came out of it the first time I saw it with the black hole scene and the way it ends and the way he he figures out, oh, this is what we're supposed to do. And then it cuts to later. We solved it. And now there's this big emotional finale. I was still like, so wait, how did the black hole work? <laughs> but and then when it was explained and I rewatched it, I got all of those things and I could like put those things aside me. So for me, it almost feels like the logic 
got in the way of the emotional moments, kind of like you were saying, but my not understanding of the logic, I couldn't think, I couldn't move past that. I was still like, that didn't make sense to me. It, I what, didn't even start to process how it made me feel emotionally because I was still hung up on essentially how the black hole worked. <laughs> the one other thing I wanted to add is, um, so I was recently, I, I love the soundtrack to Interstellar. I listen to it all the time, even to this day. I, I love it. And uh, I was on the track that plays when they've gotten away from the, the water planet where there's mountains of waves, Wes Bentley dies, and they realize that their crewman is like, what is he, like 27 years older or something like that when they get back on the ship. And Matthew McConaughey yeah. is watching the video that he got back from Earth, and now his daughter and son are Casey Affleck and Jessica Chastain. They're adults. And he just realizes that he has missed 27 years of his children's lives. And there's a very, uh, you know, for Hans Zimmer, very kind of light touch piano piece that happens during that, that scene. And now that I'm a father, that scene resonates with me even more than it did during the film, which I do think it is successful when it happens in the movie. I think he does nail that really well, especially McConaughey's performance in that scene is really, really good. Um, mm -hmm. But now I'm, I'm able to more readily put myself into that character's shoes. And, you know, I haven't been a day apart from my daughter for better or for worse since she's been born because I can't, <laughs> like I can't go anywhere. Um, <laughs> but the idea of missing 27 years in her life is, is absolutely impossible to, to conceive of. And, you know, the only way that that would happen, God forbid, is I die. But, you know, I'm not going to go up into space and be away for 27 years. But, um, you know, that, that definitely did resonate with me even more than it did before. Yeah. Because that's that and the ending are the scenes that I think of when I think of like the emotional impact. And I think McConaughey's performance completely carries that scene of and just the way that they happen to be like orbiting something so like the light of the nearest star keeps like passing by his face as he's watching these videos and his kids are getting older and he's breaking down more and more and more that's also been turned into a meme of just him watching like a trailer for a movie or something <laughs> that he's so excited for that he starts crying <laughs> you know I never thought of Christopher Nolan missing the emotional hit and it wasn't until you said it right now to me and you and I have talked movies ever since we we started becoming friends years and years ago. The ending of, I think, every single one of the Batman movies is flat. Like, it just... Like, the end... What is it? It's the, it's the second one. The end of the second one, when he's like, oh, man, you gotta be, like, Harvey Dent was this and this and that, and, like, I need to be what I need... What needs... What, what you know, Gotham needs me to be... That was that should have been like a real like heavy hit of he's taking on this, and I was just like, okay, like go hide, man. Just take off the suit. You're gonna just go back to being a, a billionaire. It's fine. <laughs> like I didn't have that hit of it in the same way, and I think the only movie that really made me a Christopher Nolan movie that really made me have an emotional response was Inception, and that was I think mainly just Leonardo DiCaprio. If you think about it, I just think it was Leonardo DiCaprio's performance. Not Are you talking about the ending specifically? Just multiple scenes, like the mm. scene when he has to watch uh, his wife die, like stuff mm. like that. Like the scene when he recounts how 
we we lived here we got we grew old here we build our our world together when he's recounting it like hmm. Leonardo DiCaprio just you know slaps that whole fucking movie with his energy <laughs> just fucking slaps it like and I think maybe now that I'm saying it out loud it's actually really Leonardo DiCaprio that just crushes it in those moments maybe less so than Christopher Nolan was the guy who was just pulling these mastermind strings to make it happen um but yeah, that's a really good point I never thought about like I really like that movie hit like Inception I think was also it was also I always say this the movie that made me put Leonardo DiCaprio like on the pedestal that the whole world had him on beforehand because I never <laughs> believed the hype like nothing and again take nothing away from the guy but I I was always thinking yeah he's he's good I don't think he's as like this this guy number one that everybody keeps saying until that movie and then I was like holy shit he's totally that guy he's totally that guy <laughs> he could totally do this shit oh my god he's so good um so so yeah so for me that's a really good point that I for some reason never got mentioned in all the times we've talked um that I never really thought of when it comes to Christopher Nolan but it makes me th- it makes me want to ask you what were your thoughts then when you saw Batman any of them when when you went in whether with preconceptions or not leaving regardless of the emotional hit or not did you have like a positive thing to say about those movies from Christopher Nolan's from a standpoint of critiquing him less of Heath Ledger or or Christian Bale etc cetera, etc cetera. so I came out of talking about being confused by Nolan's movies the first time that I saw The Dark Knight Rises I was pretty baffled by what was happening there just trying to keep track of all of the different plates that were spinning in that movie I think that that movie bites off more than it can chew narratively. And I think he does an admirable job cutting it all together, but there's just a point where you just start to get completely lost and that can then leach into your emotional engagement and frankly, your interest with the movie. So although I have come around to really appreciating the dark Knight rises, the emotional impact of the end of that movie, I, always felt like it was a big old cheat to hint that Bruce Wayne was still alive. And I think that the reason why that that moment works is because the final montage that leads up to it, where you see the the big statue of Batman kind of commemorating him for having saved Gotham, like that, all of those moments are really cool. And then you see Morgan Freeman noticing some autopilot thing about the bat. And it occurs to him and then like it starts to follow this this idea that he actually maybe got out. And that's when I was like, no, 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 no. Don't do that. You've you've done such a great job at establishing that this guy would do anything to to fight against evil and to save the city. And then you just you don't have the courage to do it, to really commit Mm. to it and. That said, I feel like I still got swept up in it because, and this happens with almost all of Nolan's movies because he's worked with Hans Zimmer on every movie as a composer, I think since Batman Begins. Hans Zimmer's score is doing a lot of heavy lifting in those final scenes and those final moments there. And that happens at the end of every single one of Nolan's movies. And sometimes it helps and sometimes it doesn't. So I was still pretty caught up by the very last moments of the dark Knight rises just because it was very invigorating. Um, but take the end of Dunkirk, which I feel like even though you don't develop too much of an emotional connection 
with any one of the characters just because they're they're very sketched out very broadly like you don't get to know who they are really as people all that much that's not really the point of the movie by the end of it the that I, I have the image of Tom Hardy's plane running out of fuel and just kind of coasting in the air and just the music swelling up and him being apprehended by the enemy and all of those moments kind of coalescing at the same time. That for me is a very successful emotional conclusion to that movie because it's, it's almost abstract because it's not fixated on the interpersonal relationships between anybody. It's about pride and uh, just national pride. Like the British did what they could to save each other. And like, that's what's kind of driving it. I feel like that's way more successful as an emotional ending than the, the switcheroo with bat, uh, with the dark Knight rises and with the dark Knight. to your point, Matt, I think if that movie had really committed to being like the empire strikes back of this trilogy and just kind of leaving you in the lurch and just making you feel like, wow, they're in a really bad spot. I think just having concluded the movie right after Batman's last interaction with the Joker, uh, I think that would have been the most successful because I think what they chose to do by focusing on Harvey Dent there, I think we just don't care enough about Harvey Dent as a character and the stakes between him and Jim Gordon, his son, like all of that is just drowned out completely by Heath Ledger's performance and the impact that he's had on the movie and kind of what he implied, what he, uh, the implication that he has existing in the world with Batman at the same time should have been how that movie concluded itself. Um, mm. So he, he he's definitely hit or miss when it comes to uh, the satisfyingly wrapping up his movies and especially on an emotional front. That's a good point. <laughs> Yes, I'm just, at this point. I'm just listening. <laughs> like <laughs> that. That just sounds correct. Like, <laughs> yep. Timmy figured it out. <laughs> so I don't want to go into it on this episode because that's like a whole other forty-five minutes just in itself of talking about um, the conclusion of the Skywalker saga, um, which I haven't seen. This. I haven't actually seen episode nine yet. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. I'm, you haven't? I'm waiting to get my hands on a Dolby Atmos-enabled speaker because it's okay. it's enabled on Disney+. Plus and I missed it in theater, mm. so I want to replicate the experience of seeing it at home. And I still know wow. nothing about there it. There is some good sound in that movie. Yeah, oh, it's, wow. it's some pretty great stuff. I mean, we've been over this. Like, you could just turn on lightsabers on and off for two hours and I'll say it's a good movie. So like I'm extremely biased. We all know this, but um, you should definitely find a speaker system that can do that and then take your child outside. So they don't have their head rattled by everything that happens in that movie Yeah, <laughs> by those, by the speaker system. Um, okay. never mind. Cause I was going to say like one of these days I want to get your opinion on it because I had a very spirited discussion with, uh, with, with my girlfriend about it because she had, her strong opinions on it and i have my strong opinions on it but uh i mean i know my opinions are biased and that's why it's easy for me to just be like yeah i know i know i'm like this like i <laughs> i know like oopsie doopsies i can't help it so i i understand that 
so that's so that's good so then here's a question speaking of um children what have you been doing with your limited time away from children uh what have you been playing like what is your go-to this is what i can play are you just rehashing old games because you like it's easy to put down or are you trying to sink your teeth into something new uh there has been a mix of of that because rehashing old games in limited time is definitely the especially if it's been a tough day it's the the gut inclination is to go just play something that i'm familiar with if only to have something to do with my hands kind of distract my eyes and then i'll like listen to a news article or a podcast or something like that it's it's just a way to decompress uh but when i'm not doing that uh two things i've either been trying to beat dark souls and never actually beaten it yet um but i actually have a character build that's been working for me and i'm actually succeeding and i've been able to beat some bosses on the first try which is really cool um and and uh and the other thing that i'll add about dark souls and this is how i want to try to play other games i want to black out while i'm playing games too in in the same way that i do with movies because it's really tempting when you're playing a very challenging game like Dark Souls to look up the wiki to try to find out how to optimize your character, what Titan I do I need to max out my weapon, all that stuff. And the game is so obtuse, it doesn't tell you any of that stuff. And so I realized mm. as I spend a lot of time on the wiki that I realized that I'm not I'm not doing this the way that it was designed to be played. You're supposed to discover it on your own. So I've um, I, I have like one more lord soul to get in dark souls i'm getting close to the end i'm very excited about that but it's a very time consuming game so i don't always have the energy or the time to to play it when i have a brief a shorter amount of time to play i've actually been doing a let's play of pokemon red on youtube i've never uh recorded anything before this is my first time and so it's just kind of serendipitous that i had to also do recording with you guys because i've um, just started to learn how to do that in the best way possible. So I've been doing that with Pokemon Red. I have five episodes posted on YouTube right now. There's like three views on each of them because I'm not promoting it at all and I don't go on social media. So that's not the reason why I'm doing Shameless it. Plug. Shameless plug. Shameless you plug. You can plug it right here, man. Shameless plug. Um, yeah, it's just let's play Pokemon Red. And the, the, the way that I'm playing it, and you'll hear me narrate this, is that I'm trying to play it the way that Game Freak intended it to be played. As opposed to here's Bulbapedia on one window, here's Pokemon on the other window. Let's just build the best possible team using all the stats that are uh, available to me on the internet. I'm trying to do it as if I were a nine-year-old discovering the game for the first time. I'm I'm acting as if I don't even know what type matchups work against each other, and playing the game from that point of view is, it actually makes it a lot more challenging because you can't just go into every single encounter knowing how to ace everybody immediately, you actually have to discover things for yourself. And so that's been uh, a lot of fun and has put a spin on a, gosh, 24-year-old game in a way, or no, excuse me, uh, nearly, I can't do math. I don't know how old this game is. 24 years old, let's just say that, uh, for the first time since I started playing it. Just say that. Um, Yeah, so Pokemon Dark Souls, and uh, I've, started replaying super metroid for like the 80th time it's my favorite game of all time i'll probably end up doing a uh, let's play of that at some point too imagine nice. a, imagine a pokemon game as hard as dark souls 
where it's just <laughs> you turn a corner and there's just it's a it's a tunnel full of Charizards and it's just <laughs> they're all level eighty that you just you have like a Bulbasaur and that's it and it's just okay you gotta find a way around this one just oh, that would be that would be terrifying so here's a better question then what are you looking forward to from new generation consoles because obviously PS Five's coming obviously the new Xbox is coming like. And I know you're more of a console guy, so have you done any research? Are you excited about anything specifically? Are you an Xbox guy or PlayStation guy? Like, what is your leaning? What are you thinking? Are you even going to bother? Or are you going to say, screw it, I don't have time for anything new? So I, I don't want to just immediately cop out and say, I'm a dad, I don't have any time. Um, because, <laughs> you know, th- th- it's my favorite hobby, and I want to make sure that I'm spending the time to do it. Because I will say, early on, when Charlie was first born, I was, I was always on duty at, if not literally, I was at least on duty mentally with the baby. And it was making it so that I was never allocating time to like kind of recharge. And, and I do that by playing video games. And so I am determined to make time to play video games. So I'll just say that, um, in terms of the new generation, I'm not really all that well read about what the new generation is, going to bring i watched the video that sony put out about the playstation 5 and they they actually did an admirable job at including actual gameplay footage instead of just here's this really cool looking trailer a la assassin's creed 3 that does not prepare you at all for how boring this game actually is going to be a la assassin's creed 3 (laughs) and so because it's all promotion at this point i'm not avoiding it because i'm trying to black out i'm avoiding it because i don't I just have to wait for the reviews. Um, but I don't plan on purchasing a PlayStation 5 just yet. I have a pretty substantial library of PlayStation 4 games that I have gotten this summer. So because I haven't been able to play games as much, I've been getting very uh, vicariously interested in what I might be able to play at some point. So all that is to say is that I've spent a lot of money this summer on on the PlayStation store, just building up my library. So when I do have the time, I just have a lot of things to catch up on. So I would just as soon catch up on all that stuff before I invest in the newest generation. That's admirable. (laughs) It's shocking to see someone, someone with so much logic. (laughs) What is your, what is your, what's your point of view? I mean, so my whole thing is once there's something on it that I have to have that isn't going to be on PS4, I'll, I'll end up getting it. So far at launch, it doesn't look like there's going to be anything. There's uh, yeah, honestly really nothing. There's Spider-Man Miles Morales, which isn't Spider-Man 2. It's like a Spider-Man 1.5. That's its own standalone thing. That's It's not a system seller for me. Um, and there's really nothing that I could think of on the horizon that would be a system seller for me. Um, but maybe like God of War 2 or something like that eventually because um, you know how much I love that game it was yeah. so incredible yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah I, that's until then I'm I'm content I, I'd love to play through my backlog I'd actually really love to either start streaming or doing a let's play or something like that so that's, that's cool to hear that you've been starting that um, and there's so many things that I could do that with I want to replay through uh, every Zelda game 
uh, in release date order again, which I did back right before Skyward Sword came out in like 2011. I played through everyone leading up to that point, and there's been like five more since then, so I want to do that again because that was really cool. So I also have a huge backlog, so I'm not super worried about the upcoming consoles yet until there's essentially a God of War 2, whatever Naughty Dog's next thing is going to be, or one of those huge studios that just make smash hit after smash hit i so i don't have a i don't have a new council to look forward to <laughs> because i still need to beat red, red dead redemption 2 on xbox and breath of the wild on switch so i i don't have an answer to even i'm not going to join the conversation on that so uh not related to the new consoles but um a shameless plug for not me but for mark brown's game makers toolkit which i mentioned before about optimizing the fun out of games he has a series called boss keys and he does a in-depth analysis about every Zelda game and every Zelda dungeon in it. And I think you will lose your mind when you watch that, Chris, because it'll just be like pushing all your buttons, like analytical Zelda. Like you should absolutely watch it because it, it, they're terrific videos, uh, but they'll, they're very, it's like they're made in a lab for you. It sounds like. <laughs> Sold. <laughs> um, awesome. In terms of in terms of Breath of the Wild, so that's that's the game that I played the most on my Switch. And I had a an astounding amount of free time last year. I was working at a job that was very, very low maintenance. I have been working from home for most of my career, and so I just had a ton of spare time on my hands, and my wife was traveling a lot for work. So I played a crap ton of Breath of the Wild, and I really could only break through that barrier of actually like getting invested in it once I got a guide that showed me what to do and how to actually cover everything in the game because I was pretty determined to do all the shrines in the game and to try to get through most of the uh, the challenges. I just didn't do the hero's quest because ain't nobody got time for that. And, um, and I ended up basically maxing out the game as much as I would have cared to. And I used this beautiful hardbound official guide that I don't know who published it, but um, it's got this really lovely uh, painting of Zelda on the front of it. And that's what kind of put that game over the top for me. It was really getting immersed in it. And um, I just don't have the brain to do all the guesswork that's needed to, to explore enough to get all that out of the game. So if I have a guide to point me in the right direction, that's just enough for me to actually experience the content in the game without it just feeling like a checklist. Um, so mm. Matt, if you're feeling less than motivated to go into breath of the wild, because you don't feel like wandering around for 45 minutes and getting nothing done, then I would highly recommend that you check that guide out. Get the guide. Yeah. It's, it's, it's hard because to go back to your idea of purity with the game, like, and we talked about this probably like four episodes ago, Chris and I did, uh, maybe five, but something about Breath of the Wild, and for me, it's the, the, of course, it's way bigger than Ocarina of Time, but Ocarina of Time for me is, is like, this is hitting the exact same strides that Ocarina of Time hit for me, where it's this weird, like you were saying, the reward function of just going in a direction and and just or at least just almost going into what the game was designed for you know i went from what the fuck am i doing to 
I have horsies. I have like all over, all over the land. I have horsies, and I love them, and I have them all named, and they all have different purposes. It's great. And then it's just I can wander some more, and then it's just I can buy a house. Ooh, I want a house, and now it's like, well, I gotta find, I gotta make some money. I gotta find some jobs, you know. So it's 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 of course it's like ten times more vast and in depth than Ocarina of Time is, but Ocarina of Time had a similar um reward system in a way where it gives you like these little like nuggets of, of feeling good where it's it you're just wandering around talking to people and all of a sudden hey i'm in a race with the fastest guy in hyrule like ooh, <laughs> can i beat him um and you're just wandering the forest and like the music is changing and everything is green and 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 foggy and it's an entirely different environment it's this cool reward system as you kind of trope through the world um at just an unknown pace like that's really what it is like i have no clue where i'm going half the time other than there's something shiny on my map and i'm just gonna go into the darkness because i don't have a tower touched there and i'm gonna see what i can do and the shit i run into on the way um also figuring out and learning about the game from a combat perspective not realizing that like they judge um like they they have setups like oh cool I'm gonna hit with range attacks as a tank comes up and they have grunts flanking me what the fuck like <laughs> why why it's just me what why, like I have to worry about this now um it's rewarding when I figure out a strategy just oh well if I can throw a bomb and it rolls at him and I can pop it it blows the little grunts away then I can start pinging at the at the range guys then I can just it, it's you're right. It is daunting because it's just, oh, I have to just, like, run in a direction for 25 minutes and then deal with the adventures that come that way from doing it. But I think that is the one game where it's, like, I'm actually okay with, I think, taking it as it is. Unfortunately, I'm an adult, and I, like, if I was a kid, that game would change my life because I would just be just, you know, out, like, eyeball deep in that game all the time and just learning and exploring and experimenting and finding and, and creating and doing all these things in that game which would be super cool but as an adult it's just uh, I gotta get up early tomorrow because I, I gotta run and drop this thing off and I gotta go pick this up and then I gotta make sure I'm back in time so I can start this and then I gotta clean this and empty that and I gotta prep this and get that stored away so I got time for like half an hour eh, I think I'll just I don't know not do that so unfortunately it turns into that um, where we actually mentioned this on another episode recently where I feel the same way about movies. Um, and you probably have a good counterpoint uh, counter, uh, point to this, but I was saying how, specifically, I can, you can't watch, and I'm saying you being very general, not just you, Timmy, because you, you probably could do this, but I don't think you would out of respect. You can't just watch certain movies because you have to be invested into them. And I used Natalie Portman as an example. I was like, you can't just casually put on a Natalie Portman movie in the background. You'd be like, oh, I'm gonna clean the dishes, or like, like you just you just can't. Like, I'm sure you could try, but her performance and the movie she does, she 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 does. They don't let you do that. You know what I mean? Like, they don't let they don't release you to do that because that's not the. It's almost not the fact that it's by design. It's just the power of of what she does. I feel kind of commands that where you can't just be like, I'm just going to casually put on, you know, uh, like black Swan or something. You know what I mean? Like I'm going to casually put on, um, I forget the name of the movie where she was, uh, a Jackie and it's just, Oh, I'll just let this movie play while I do whatever around the house. It's just, that's not, that's not how this, that's not how this works, dude. That's not how this works. Um, 
like there's some movies you can kind of get by like the like you can kind of if you've seen it before put on put on like pulp fiction and just let it play or kill bill you know what i mean like you can kind of put on some movies where it's just oh yeah that oh yeah, there's that scene and you, keep, you can keep doing your thing but there's some things and i'm putting breath of the wild in this category i'm putting red dead redemption in this category i'm putting a lot of movies like i love referring to fury road um as being one of those movies where i can't just casually do this thing for a short period of time and then just be like oh well i'm done bye and just move on from it i just can't like it's just it it doesn't allow you to and i don't know how else to explain it other than the first 10 minutes of mad max fury road if you somehow have the ability to just ignore the rest of that movie going <laughs> forward then you're dead inside yeah. like <laughs> you're dead inside you, you literally are missing a part of what makes you a human and an animal <laughs> And, and, and like a thing that needs to thrive and survive and hunt and kill like like you you don't have that um and that's how i feel about about that like the marvel movies are great you can put on any marvel movie and kind of just like fold your clothes and just oh look at that he's flying like you can kind of just go along with it because that's kind of i think by design but there's just some movies and games in this case what i'm referring to you just can't you j- i don't know why you just can't it's just it's it's not supposed to be like a like a fun sized bag of chips. It's supposed to be, like we said, a twelve course meal. <laughs> like that that that's a fine dining experience. You can't just. Th- I'll just take it to go. It's fine. I'll just finish ha- the rest of this meal at home. It's like, no, you don't do that here. You can't. You just. They demand your full attention. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, right? Yeah, it's it's that exact experience that has actually uh, created a situation where. Uh, so I um, took off using FMLA, pay, uh, not paid, but uh, family medical leave. I was able to take three months off of work uh, for paternity leave. And it was unpaid and, oh, my God, but that's a whole separate thing. But, uh, but I did do it in order to be able to have time to help uh, Nikki out and help out with the baby. And so during that time, I wanted to try to also – when the baby was sleeping, try to like take some time to like play games. And there would be these moments where I could go and play a really low demand game or a game that I played a million times, like super Metroid and just kind of turn my brain off, brain off and not really focus on it. But then the last of us chapter two came out and I was determined to actually give that game my full attention. And so actually on Father's Day, which was a couple of days after that game came out, my deal with Nikki was that she would like take Charlie for the night and do all of the feeding and all of the putting to bed and all that stuff just so that I could have like a solid chunk of time to just focus on that game. And so what you're talking about, Matt, is exactly what I've gone through where I have this, this, these media that I want to consume, but what I'm interested in does not it merits the kind of attention that as working adults, we often don't have. And, and also the, the, the focus, which requires energy. And you may not even have that. You may have the time, but you may not have the mental wherewithal to give back to this media that you're trying to consume in the way that it deserves. There's been so many books that I've uh, back in college that I set out to read because I was an English major and I felt like I wanted to cover the waterfront on the, classic side that just flew out of my head because I didn't actually pay attention to them. I wanted to have read, I wanted to have read them, but I didn't actually want to read them. 
And so with a movie like Jackie, uh, that's a great example because that movie, in addition to just not being terribly verbal, is is this deeply unsettling emotional experience and the music really hits that home and Natalie Portman's performance in it is so great and it's very internalized and and you have to look at it in order to actually give it the attention that it deserves. It's not radio with pictures. It's not an episode of Friends. You can't just have it on and basically understand everything that's happening without looking at the TV. So you need to work your life around whatever it is that you're interested in. And if it means that tonight is not the night and maybe for the next week, I'm not going to have the, the time or the energy to do it. You owe it to that piece of art that you're trying to consume the time and energy that it requires. The only other thing that I can think of that is actually fairly well suited to that style of, of consuming it, that very like low attention, low focus is, uh, really old movies from like the thirties. And the reason why I bring that up is because I, I subscribe to the criterion channel and they basically are like Turner classic movies where they will have just a huge library of old movies starring actors that like you've maybe never heard of. And because they're so old and they were made at such a high volume in that period of time in Hollywood history, they are just not visual at all. It's the script that is why they're valuable in the performances. And you can basically get that just by listening to it. So I've watched, mm. watched in air quotes, a lot of movies just by listening to them because the dialogue is so snappy and everybody says like, hey, are you giving me the hi-hat? And, you know, stuff like that that makes it entertaining. <laughs> but it's not because of anything visual. It's the opposite of a Christopher Nolan movie. It's, it's like I said, it's radio with pictures. So that's that's kind of the only mm-hmm. example I can think of that actually maybe is better suited to that lack of attention because you'll probably just get bored if you're just staring at two people in a room standing around talking at each other because that's mostly what those movies are. Interesting. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point, thinking about how they didn't really have the technology to, like they didn't have the ability to have massive, massive sets and green screens behind or, them to... Or to move the camera. Yeah. <laughs> but actually yeah. like cameras were mostly stationary back then yeah, like right. moving shots was like a development when it yeah, happened true true that's why if you yeah, the talking pictures you watch a silent movie like sunrise uh which has a very fluid very in motion constantly kind of camera and it was absolutely revolutionary and unheard of at the time and it still stands today even 93 years later as an an amazing visual experience to watch it because it just is so not what you would expect from a movie made at that time. But most other movies that Mm -hmm. were making box office at the time are just two people standing around talking at each other with accents that don't actually exist in the world. And they, they all sound like they're sort of from the United States or sort of from the UK and kind of both at the same time. (laughs) yeah that's a different time that's definitely a different time speaking of time it is running a little late for us and we know that you have very limited time based on your new lifestyle of uh being a parent so do you want to give a shout out to your channel because we have no problem 
promoting your channel. I think that's really cool that you're doing that. I had no clue you were doing that. Thanks for dropping that on the on the <laughs> podcast. Yeah. If you don't want to, you don't have to. If you want to perfect it before you put it out there, you don't have to say anything. I mean, it, it's it, it, technically it's already out there. So it's just very uncreatively. It's my name, Timothy Semenza. That's the name on YouTube that you would find. And I just have the one playlist of uh, Pokemon Let's Plays. Uh, it's Pokemon Red. And the other videos that are on there, I, I think are public, and I should probably make them unpublic, are videos that I put together that were like eulogizing my grandparents who died a, a year ago. <laughs> so I should probably make those <laughs> private okay. and not public so that people don't <laughs> accidentally find my uh, my tributes to my grandparents on my YouTube channel when they're looking for Pokemon. Yeah, maybe not. <laughs> yeah, maybe not. Maybe not. Uh, anything you want to say, Chris? Anything you want to say to... Uh, t- so, so uh, Timmy, he was like... who? So Timmy's gonna be on? I was like, yeah. He was like, have I met Timmy? I was like, I don't know. I'm gonna show you, and I uh, showed him the picture I have of uh, your wedding when there was the picture of just you and me that you gave me that I have framed up downstairs. And I pointed. I was like, that's Timmy. You, <laughs> does he look? He was like, I, he does look familiar. I was like, all right, cool. You'll you'll see him when you go upstairs. It'll be fine. <laughs> Glad you have that. Yeah, as a friend it was uh, it was great to meet you. Yeah, yeah, you too, Chris. Yeah. Yeah. This man? Have you seen this man? <laughs> Come with me. Come with be me. Be sure, because we've been talking about games for the bulk of this episode, if you're interested in games, you're listening to this, but specifically also Matt and Chris, like, do check out Game Maker's Toolkit. That is maybe one of the best gaming channels on YouTube. Uh, it's worth getting YouTube Premium just so that you don't have to hear commercials before you start watching those videos. I have premium for that exact reason because <laughs> there are some YouTubers that I follow that make new stuff every day and I just can't deal with those <laughs> ads being forced into my face every day. So awesome. Thank you for the recommendation. I'm definitely going to check that out. And hopefully this episode comes out in pristine condition. So that's a good sign that we can do this again. So if you want a guest back on, we would love to have you because yeah, these please. are good chats. I'd love to. Um, yeah. All right, cool. All right. Until next time when uh, you have uh you're you're uh, you're you're super YouTube famous. <laughs> thanks for thanks for calling in, man. Good talking to you. Thank you. Bye. Yeah. Peace. Bye, guys.